This is day 51 of our daily Bible reading plan. We'll be going through 1 Samuel chapters 15 through 19. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for continuing to give us breath in our bodies and a sharpness of mind and a desire for you, Lord, that this desire for you will never fade and will never make us weary of doing good. Lord, please just continue to bless us as we struggle in our daily lives and just remind us of how much we need you on a daily basis. Lord, that you promise to deliver us, you promise to be with us, and you promise to anoint us with glory in the coming life. Lord, that we would hold fast to these promises and just pursue you without hesitation. Please join us as we read this word that you would teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you have showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Malachites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed, and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, Why then is this 
bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor, who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and go back with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, 
so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him, and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. 
Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skilled player of the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah, in Ephesdamim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed five thousand shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed six hundred shekels of iron. His shield-carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you, servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, 
and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, and advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for forty days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand, and look into the welfare of your brothers, and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning, and left the flock with a keeper, and took the supplies, and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp, while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, and ran to the battle line, and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in order with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, 
Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments, and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor, and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, and ruddy, with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog, that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed 
over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shavariam, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. The king said, You, inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now it came about, when he had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day when the evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house. While David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand, Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. 
Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as his commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, My hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistine be against him. But David said to Saul, Who am I, and what is my life, or my father's family in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law? So it came about at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, as she was given to Adriel the Maholathite as a wife. Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. When they told Saul, the thing was agreeable to him. Saul thought, I will give her to him, that she may become a snare to him, and that the hands of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David, For a second time you may be my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David secretly, saying, Behold, the king delights in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words to David. But David said, Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? The servants of Saul reported to him according to these words which David spoke. Saul then said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law. Before the days had expired, David rose up and went, he and his men, and struck down two hundred men among the Philistines. Then David brought back their foreskins, and they gave them in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, for a wife. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul so his name was highly esteemed. Now Saul told Jonathan his son, 
and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now therefore, please be on guard in the morning, and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter, so that they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the harp with his hand. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. Michal took the household idol and laid it on the bed, and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me on his bed, that I may put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, a household idol was on the bed, with the quilt of goat's hair at its head. So Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michal said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I put you to death? Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. It was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, 
with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah, and came as far as the large well that is in Siku. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. He proceeded there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth in Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? What a fantastic read we had today. Is, there's so much here that we could talk about. It would take me a couple hours, but I'm obviously not going to do that. So I'm going to keep this as brief as possible. But giving it due diligence to what's being spoken here. So first off, we see in chapter 15, a couple of interesting things. One is, it mentions the king of the Amalekites, and the name is Agag. If this sounds familiar to you, because in a previous reading, we heard the name of Agag being spoken in prophecy. And it came true. So this is a fulfillment of prophecy right here that they captured an Amalekite king, and his name is Agag. There's no coincidence in this. So that's really interesting. But secondly is what Saul did. So he was given very specific instructions of what to do. Go and strike Amalek and completely wipe them out. Everything that belongs to them, animal, child, woman, they all die. But they compromised with the Lord's command and they did what they thought was right. They didn't follow God's command to the letter. And Samuel called him out on it. Isn't it true that you were told to exterminate all these people and everything that they owned? And Saul's like, I did. I did obey. I did exactly what he says, except I brought Agag, the Amalekite king, back with me. Then he's like, how come I hear the bleeding of sheep? How come I hear the lowing of oxen? Why are there all these animal noises I hear? Saul, I thought you were supposed to wipe them all out. Well, you know, I brought them so that we could sacrifice to the Lord your God. You see, there's that term again, the Lord your God. Saul has no personal stake with God on this. But you don't get it, Saul. Look what Samuel says here in verse 22. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. If you want to talk about it in business world, this is the difference between being proactive and being reactive. 
Because what was sacrificing for? It was for cleansing of sin. God would much rather us not sin at all and preemptively kill the sin in our lives before we actually do it so that there's no need to be forgiven of anything. God is making it very clear in the Old Testament, the spirit of the law in this chapter. And this is something that Jesus Christ goes into great detail while he walked the earth, especially when it comes to the Pharisees. The Pharisees followed the law exactly to the letter, but did not understand the spiritual wisdom in the law. They didn't understand why this these particular things were a law to begin with. For example, do not murder, right? But I but what does Jesus say? But I tell you that even if you hate your brother in your heart, then you are committing murder in your heart. The spiritual side matters because God is a spirit and those things matter. And that's what Samuel's explaining here is Saul I understand what you think you thought was right, but you did not follow my exact instructions. God doesn't want you to sin. He wants you to obey him, and obedience is the number one thing that he's looking for. Devotion to him and obedience. Those are better than sacrifices. So don't give me this baloney that you brought all these animals back to sacrifice to the Lord because he's not a God of rituals. He's a God of obedience. He wants a humble heart, and he wants someone who will listen and obey him exactly as he commands. And because you have chosen to do things your way and have denied God's commands repeatedly, kingdom is taken away from you, and it's going to be given to someone better than you. Now, this is one part that may be a little confusing to us, and let's make sure that we understand this properly. Going back a little bit to verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he said, I regret that I made Saul king. Okay, so if we look at it from, again, from a very superficial view, it makes it look like God made a mistake, doesn't it? In the English, I don't think it does it justice by saying that he regretted this. Because this isn't a term of like, God made a mistake and he now is going to fix it. So now in this case, verse 29 says, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Those apparently, superficially, look like a contradiction, do they not? But let's make it very clear that God is immutable. He is unable to change. Everything about him is constant and consistent. His eternal nature is that of someone who is immutable. He will always be all-powerful. He will always be all-wise. He will always be present everywhere at all times. None of that will change. And so, again, he already explained this in the last reading. 
The reason why Saul is king is because that's the king that they chose, the people of Israel chose. And God allowed him to be king so that they could learn that what you want as king is not the right way you should look for a king. I demand, as your Lord, I demand a king a specific way, and I will prescribe it myself. He was teaching them an object lesson through Saul. And he did use Saul for his purposes. So apparently this whole ordeal made Samuel very upset. And he thought that he made some grave mistake. And so the Lord comforted him and was like, all right, it's time to get the real king. Let's get my king. So you're going to go to Bethlehem and you're going to go to the house of Jesse, which we just finished reading the book of Ruth. We know that that's Ruth's descendants. What did it say? It said Obed was the son of Ruth, right? And then Obed had a son named Jesse. So this is very close in proximity when it comes to the book of Ruth and 1 Samuel. Now here's another spiritual truth that we have to understand about God as well, is what he says here in chapter 16, verse 7. They looked at Eliab. He looked at Eliab and did the exact same thing he did with Saul. Saw him, he was handsome, he was tall. Surely, this is the one that God wants. But God said, no. Do not look at his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. God does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is what is important to God. Not what you look like, but what you are inside. Your inner man is what defines you in God's eyes. Never forget that, guys. doesn't matter what you look like. That's why race doesn't matter. That's why skin color doesn't matter. Ethnicity, nationality, none of those things matter. Disabilities, none of those things matter to God. What he cares about is someone who will obey him with a whole heart. That is what matters to God. He can use that. If he has to compete with your ego, then he will have a harder time working with you. Not because he can't work with you, but because you are resisting him. And if you are resisting him and exalting yourself, then he will not use you because you are forcing resistance upon him. He could overpower you easily, but he respects you and your free will that he gave you. And he looks for somebody who's humble to work with, someone who's malleable spiritually. And then we see something very interesting here in, near the end of chapter 16. We see that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Let's understand this one properly. In this day and age, in the Old Testament, the presence of the Holy Spirit was selective. It was temporary. It wasn't the same as it is now post-Pentecost. Let's make this very clear. Because some people misunderstand this or just have a very shallow understanding of this scripture. 
to give the impression that you are able to lose your salvation today. And that is not true. Back then was very different before Jesus Christ came. People were saved through their faith. Just like it said with Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You were able to get saved in the Old Testament. And that was through your devotion, that was through your worship and your faith that you were able to be saved in these days. You were able to go to heaven because of that. But in today's world, since the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through Pentecost, it's a little bit different now. Now, it is universal and permanent. Anyone can get the Holy Spirit if God wills it, and it is a seal. As we describe in other parts of Scripture, it is a seal of the Holy Spirit as a pledge of what's coming. So in this day, this was the power of God was taken from Saul and was given to David. And David did mighty things in his name. But for our case, it's not the same thing. We will not lose the Holy Spirit if we have it. If we never had it at all, we'll never have it. But if we have it, we won't lose it. That's That should be comforting. So then we see the famous story of David and Goliath. And we know the story. He is a humongous man. I mean, you, it describes how big he is. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, a cubit in this day was about 18 inches, a foot and a half. Because it would be from the tip of your elbow to the tip of your fingers. That was a cubit. And back then, your average man had a cubit of 18 inches. So if you do the math on that, Goliath was three meters tall. Nine and three quarters of feet high. Almost ten feet tall. That's a big boy. His armor weighed 125 pounds, you know, 50-something, 50 55 kilograms, more or less. You know, even his spear was heavy and stout, apparently. I mean, it weighed almost 8 kilos on its own. It weighed 17 pounds. That's a big spear. This is a big man, no doubt. He had to have a whole man just to carry his shield. You see that? He had a shield carrier. That's his only job. That shield was probably about as big as that guy. So, very interesting. And he goes out there and he demands to fight with someone. And nobody's going to step up and do that. They're all scared of this man. And then we see David, a teenager, coming to provide stuff to his brother's to, in response to his, his father, his dad wants to know what's going on in the, on the battlefield and to check on his, his, his boys, his sons. And what does the oldest brother do, Eliab? He's like, you're just out here, you know, looking for some excitement. You're out here just looking for some drama. You're nosy, David. Go back to those few little sheep you got out there, little boy. Oh, making fun of him. And he's like, what have I done? I haven't done anything to you. Why are you getting 
Why are you getting angry with me? It was just a question. So the only one in the whole camp that had any bravery at all and was zealous for the things of God was David. David was the only one that stood up understanding that the Lord is the one who fights the battles. He made this so clear when he said what he said to, to Goliath. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my, my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. All the earth will know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know his own army, the army of Israel, may be know, it may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. He got it. He had it all correct. The proper posture when it came to understanding God. This is overwhelming. And this is way bigger than us. God is in control of the minute details of his creation. He moves DNA as he, and cells as he wills. If he can handle the cellular level, surely he can handle the bigger things. God is sovereign over all his creation. And when we go to battle, it's not with us and our skill and our ability. It's God's. And in this case, all the people were afraid that, oh, the Philistines are going to win the battle because this man is 10 feet tall. It doesn't matter because God is infinitely bigger than that. So surely, if they understood the power of God, then they would have understood that the battle is up to God who wins. It could have been anybody. It didn't have to be David. It could have been anybody, whoever God backed up. But it was David. And David went over there, threw a stone, it sunk into his forehead, and he died. Some people use this as a contradiction. Chapter 17, Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But he had no sword. So he ran to the Philistine, took his sword, and killed him. Did he kill him twice? It is very clear from the text that the stone in the forehead killed him instantly. But to make sure that he was going to stay dead, you know what I mean? To make to confirm his death, he cut off his head. And again, this is Goliath's sword. This is a big sword. So, this is we're going to see this sword later. But this is a big sword that he cut his head off with. Now, in chapter 18, we see David and Jonathan become friends. Now, let me be very clear about this. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. If anyone here, listening or otherwise, tries to accompany this as being a homosexual relationship, 
that they were romantically involved with each other, or if it's anything other than just a good, wholesome friendship, then you are wrong. There was nothing like that here in the text. This is a best friend kind of love. This is not some anything more than that. And if it is anything more than that, you are performing blasphemy upon the Bible. Do not go there. Now, David became very famous, and Saul was very jealous of him and was angry that he was getting all the attention and not him. And he kind of knew. He already knew. Because, like it said after they were singing that song, Saul has slain his thousands, David has ten thousands. He's like, what? They're giving him more credit than me. I'm the king. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? He saw it coming. He knew. He knew it was likely going to be David who will take over his throne. And so not only was that part of the motivation, but just because he was just so much better than him, he was jealous of him, and he always wanted him to get, be killed. What I think is hilarious as well, and David had to do it twice, where he went to go play the harp for Saul to soothe him from that evil spirit. And Saul tried to pin him into the wall, not just once, but twice. Why would you want to go back in there a second time? I just thought that was funny. Now, he did give him his daughter, Michal. And I've let me just be straight with, with you on this one. She's just as bad as Saul is when it comes to the conniving sneakiness that they have. So, but not only that, but I've only heard her name spoken one other way by another famous pastor, and I disagree with the way it just it just does not feel right. He would call her name Michael, like a like a masculine name, Michael. And it kind of looks like a Michael, but I just refuse to call her Michael. It just sounds wrong. Okay, so forgive me on that, but it does not agree with me to call her Michael. So I call her Mikal. That's how I chose to pronounce that. If I'm doing it wrong, I'm doing it wrong, but that's my personal belief. So Jonathan protect, protected David from being killed by Saul. And that didn't last very long because then Saul tried to pin him against the wall again. And then she, he went to go to his house to get him killed. And his wife, Michal, also his, you know, there's a conflict there because she has to obey her dad, the king, but also she wants to honor her husband. And so there's a couple things wrong with this. We see David just being such a godly man, right? We see him being valiant and not backing down and not being afraid of anything. But then you see him running away here, fleeing for his life. What happened? Where, where, what, where, what is it, where did this contrast come from? How did we go from being valiant to being a coward? What's interesting is that if you look at some of the Psalms that David wrote, some of them take place during specific times of 
his life. And you'll see that his spiritual life is sometimes in the balance, hanging in the balance in different ways, where if he's struggling spiritually, then he's struggling in his life. Or if he's strong in the Lord in his spirit, then he his life changes for the better. And it's very interesting how you see that in David's life, where his spiritual life directly reflects everything else that goes on with him. He's one of those people. His emotional state, as well as his decisions, his ability to make good decisions, are directly tied to his spiritual walk. Sometimes I think I have that as well. That if I'm not spiritually right with God, then everything in my life starts to crumble. Not everyone's like that, but I think that I share that with him to some degree. And then we see at the end of chapter 19, we see God's sense of humor come back again. How he just frustrates the efforts of fools. Where they said, David's in Rama. So he sent messengers, and instead of the messengers reaching their destination, God puts the Holy Spirit on them and causes them to prophesy. Three different groups of men. And then Saul himself goes and he gets the Holy Spirit again. And he starts prophesying to the point where he's naked and humiliated before God. I mean, you've got to laugh at that. That's, that's how you see God just do something like that is humiliating. God's Spirit thwarted the evil plans. And he does that all the time. And they prophesied in spite of themselves. They didn't want to prophesy, but God caused them to prophesy. Now, again, let me be clear. There's two different kinds of prophecy. There is telling of the future, but there's also just speaking the word of the Lord. We don't know which one this was, but it doesn't have to be future events for it to be prophecy. It can just be speaking the word of the Lord, like what a prophet does. So there is so much that we could have talked about and expanded upon that could have been whole lengths of discussions and episodes and stuff like that. But definitely look into these chapters. There's a lot to get out of here. But for now, we'll go ahead and call it a day. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care and God bless you.